If you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning to uh, um, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 6 to 26. I'll be missing little bits out, but you'll get the gist of it. Um, good morning. If you're a visitor here, you are, very, uh, you are really welcome. Thank you so much for joining us uh, uh, this morning. We've just got back from our half-term holidays way up in the Isle of Skye. Very, very remote. Our neighbours were primarily sheep uh, and, a, and a few seals here and there. That's right, bar. Um, there was no internet connection. What did we do all day? Um, but actually, we had a great time. We had a really great time as a family. So I would really encourage you to drive 13 hours up to there. Also, I've loved catching up um, on Simon and Gavin's uh, talks on God's grace. So hands up, a few of you. What is grace? You must have got it by now. We've had two weeks of it. What is grace? Hands up if anybody wants to share that. Go on then, what's grace? You tell me, I'll tell everybody. Undeserved favour of God. Anything else? Whoa. Phil. The empowering presence of God. That's a good uh, definition too. Anybody else want to add to that? No. So yeah, that's right. His unconditional love to us, His empowering of us, His unmerited favor towards you and me. God doesn't owe us anything. But he graciously, lovingly, excitingly gives us everything. Um, and really what I loved as I heard these guys speaking about it, Gavin, Simon, um, is that they didn't just present it in some sort of his, uh, theological kind of concept way, but rather uh, a historical reality. That's how they phrased it. And, uh, a historical reality in Jesus that infiltrates and bursts through into everything we are and do as Jubilee, including, especially, as uh, uh, Judy uh, shouted out there, especially our giving and generosity towards God. Well done, guys, for uh, putting those two talks together. I really enjoyed them. And so as we kick off at the start of our gift day collections, we're going to be doing, it there. We're going to be doing this this week, next week, maybe even next week, uh, the week after, um, um, I just want to encourage you this morning. I want you to be motivated, captivated, thrilled by the grace of God. The God of grace. His grace upon grace upon grace. There's no other biblical reason to give generously or sacrificially or joyfully. There isn't. In fact, it's a hallmark of this church ever since I've been here. Um, you totally get grace. That's what I love about this church. And I want to encourage you to never, ever let go of that life-changing truth. It's precious. Where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Keep your hearts alive and flourishing for Jesus' jubilee. So a quick summary over the last two weeks we've talked about our devoted community structure, what we're kind of, what we feel are the priorities over the next uh, year or so, how our devoted community structure and pastoral care process has been a big part of 
moving forward as a church community. It's been, it was humbling to hear a few weeks ago, it's been great to see Phil walking up and down without crutches, but it was really humbling to hear Phil's testimony the other week uh, after breaking his leg and seeing the church in action in their families' lives. We believe God is calling us to build more and more communities in action. That's what community is about. Also, Gavin touched on our rapidly increasing um, support of church planting and relationships abroad through Michael Akosha's uh, emerging apostolic role in Ghana, through Marbash and Sarusha's involvement uh, in Turkey, our ongoing partnering with uh, New Frontiers Christ Central Churches, our ongoing links with the Umber Church that um, Jonathan and Angela have visited in the past, um, the nations this year are big on God's agenda. Yeah? God is bringing the nations far, far away into the hearts of all of you. Um, it was such a privilege to pray um, into our, uh, with our Christ Central family and how their involvement in Zambia and Mexico and Gothenburg and Cambodia and China and Tanzania and Canada. A lot of you probably don't even know about a lot of this stuff. Check out their website. Um, it was great to play, pray at the prayer days in Sheffield just the other day. Also, you might be wondering where Marvash and Sarush are. Please pray for them as they presently are gathering uh, at an international New Frontiers conference, contributing as well as gaining in expertise and wisdom in the whole area of gospel advance in persecuted nations. Our God, Jubilee, is a global God. Also, we're going to be hearing about next week and a little bit this week, raising leaders. We're going to be hearing um, uh, um, uh, and how raising and nurturing all of us into God's given purpose is a key part of our Jubilee vision. It's been a real joy watching as I, really, as I kind of put some of this together. I haven't included everybody, but it's been a real joy watching different people, you guys, rise to the challenge of responsibility and ownership in the church. How you've seen something of our Isaiah 61 for our vision um, and are running with it with Nev and Shirley and others overseeing our new Alpha Knights, uh, Lynn, Val, Matthew, others volunteering in the church office, Angela, Jill, Liz, Jonathan taking forward our new pastoral care strategy, bringing on Gavin and Haley and Eden as they navigate eldership together, our Ignite guys serving so well in so many different areas across the church. Our football team ministry with Rob, Alan, John Kearney, others. Our kids workers, you are doing a phenomenal job, guys. You are doing an amazing job with our kids. Alice, Rob, Jabber supporting. Uh, Alice, Job, uh, Alice, oh, Alice, Rob, Jabber uh, supporting our, some of our youth work. Lou, Charlotte, Keith, Alice, Hannah, uh, worship. Uh, guys, you've gone, some of you guys have gone to the School of Leadership. Luke, Angela, Andy, Matthew, Sarush, Simon, Keith, Phil, over the years, there'll be more. Nathaniel on Impact, uh, Frontier Project, Community Group Leaders. It goes on. You might be getting the message. It goes on. And that is a phenomenal thing to see in a church. And it's not just in the church either. It's out there also where it matters. As parents, as teachers, as nurses, as taxi drivers, as students, as pizza shop helpers, in Open Door, in Hope, all over the place. We want the church, 
We want the church environment. Uh, uh, we want a church environment that prays, disciples, encourages, and releases all of you in all that you do. Yeah? And finally, what I'm going to be spending the next 20 minutes or so talking about welcoming grace, grace for new people and our reaching out and our whole alpha strategy. Do you believe we have a big few years ahead? Um, I hope you're getting the message. Faith is key. Faith is key. I believe increasing our staffing and volunteering is going to be uh, imperative as we move forward. I believe buildings are going to be imperative to that. I believe technology, media, communication processes uh, are also going to be very important things to think about as we move forward. Jubilee, as we gather over the next few weeks for these gift days, will you give your heart to Jesus and all he's calling us together to? The church, as Bill Hybel says, really is the hope of the world. So this morning, welcoming grace. God specifically, when I've been praying about this, um, God specifically drew me to a very familiar story about an encounter that Jesus had, it's always good to start with Jesus, had with a woman he met where, um, uh, at a well one sunny Palestinian afternoon. Uh, and I believe as we read it, God wants to spotlight some key areas, um, key things about welcoming people with the same grace of God that he shows us as he encounters this woman. So let's read it, shall we, together? John 4, 6 to 26. I'll, I might be missing a few bits out. John 4. Jesus had to pass through the city of Samaria. Being, being, being wearied from his journey, he sat down by the well. Jacob's well, it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria uh, who, to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, shocked, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman, for then Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. He would have, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then are you going to get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, Look, everyone who, who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him like a well of water springing, gushing continuously up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Of course, that's what your response would be. So that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband. Seems like a bit of a gear change. Go call your husband and come here. The woman, answered, said, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have five husbands. You've had, you've not have, you've had five husbands. And the one whom you now have 
um, is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive something different about you, that you're a prophet, maybe. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem, that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But, but, an hour is coming. And now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit. And those who worship him in spirit uh, and truth, uh, uh, and, those must, and we must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is he who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to her. Jesus said, I, I who speak to you am he. Let's play. Yeah, Lord, I thank you uh, for this phenomenal encounter. I thank you, Lord, that you are the God of phenomenal encounters. And I pray uh, as, we, um, as we unpack this a little bit further, as we look into the church, as we see how, um, uh, how we are as a church and how we are as individuals, I pray, Lord God, that you'll break through. I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to us. I pray, Lord God, that we will gain a glimpse of this amazing grace that you pour out into our lives, that our lives will be transformed and shaped, not just by rules, regulations, good ideas, good philosophies, but the amazing relationship that you show us and the grace around everything you've done on the cross. Lord, I pray you impart something to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the first thing we must get here is this woman is surprised, shocked, overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus. Are you? She is amazed that he would even notice her, never mind deciding to have a long chat with her. Why? Because the people of, this, of his day, because to the people of his day, this would have been a shocking encounter. Jesus was jumping over every barrier to get to her, knocking down walls to make a heart connection with this woman. You see, this woman was a Samaritan. The Jews historically, generationally hated Samaritans. A bit like how in, in years gone by Protestants hated Catholics in Northern Ireland or how a genocide came about because of the hatred between Tutsis and Hutus uh, or how whites hated blacks in, black, in apartheid South Africa. Jews hated Samaritans. Also, she was a woman. Men would have, in, in their culture, men would have never taken water from the hands of a lone woman in Jesus' day, especially not rabbis. It was thought beneath them by other people. That might offend some of us now, but this is what Jesus was up against. This is what he had to fight for. Also, why was she drawing water on her own? In the middle of the hot day sun, that's an odd time. Normally, uh, women would come together as a group and they would do it early in the morning. But not this woman. Why? She had something to hide. She was a moral and social 
outcast. Many husbands not married to the man she was living with. Maybe even a prostitute. We actually don't know exactly. We're not sure for certain um, what was going on. But she was an outsider on many accounts. And there's lots of evidence for that. Yet despite all the barriers, gender barriers, race barriers, morality barriers, religion barriers, social, cultural, Jesus says, can we be friends? Phenomenal. Can I get to know you? This is going to cost me lots, but I want to cross that bridge into your world, your life. I want to touch. And do you know what? The other thing that struck me about this was that this was just an ordinary day in the life of this woman. You get that, don't you? This was the well she came to regularly. This was her life, her routine, her day-to-day. And Jesus, Jesus puts himself right there. He makes her ordinary day extraordinary. A moment of grace. You know what? This is the God we worship. This is the God whose image we all bear and reflect to others wherever we go. Jubilee, more and more, God is calling us as individuals, me too, and together to put ourselves at the wells of life, the ordinary day-to-day wells, to create, find, be moments of grace in these normal day-to-day places, going to work, going to school, to uni, shopping, visiting relatives on the phone, at parties, at the pub, at Zumba, at the match. At the doctor's surgery, day-to-day things. Zumba, not for me. Jubilee, across everything we do, we want to create settings for moments of grace. God really spoke to me about that phrase, moments of grace, and persuade and propel and provoke you, me, all of us to do the same. Whether it's the John Archer event or high tea at Hope or, uh, or movie nights or Halloween treat or treat nights that happened the other day. These are moments of grace. Our Sunday mornings, men's breakfast, camping weekends, um, walks, picnics in the park, street contacts, the big Christmas show service, the big Christmas service this year. Moments, more moments of grace. How Lily Grob has set herself up bringing art and creativity into the lives of elderly uh, Alzheimer's disease patients. Holly on mission in Mexico and now volunteering in Open Door. Jasim cooking for our asylum seeker and refugee community weekly, week on week. Our football team supporting the lives of lads who need encouragement and friendship. Sparklers, Open Door, Hope, community groups, all moments of God's amazing, wonderful, radical grace. And do you know what? I was thinking about this as I was writing it, and all the people that I encounter, we might never see the fruit of all these contacts in our lives. But imagine, in heaven, these guys that we talked to, cared for, shared um, uh, something of our story, shared a little moment of grace, grace with us. Imagine them fully restored, smiling you, greeting you one day in eternity. Thanking you, rejoicing. What a moment would that be? 
God is calling us to have our eyes wide open to those he puts around us, to the wells of grace all over, to make the ordinary into an extraordinary encounter like Jesus. Are you up for that? Are you up for that? It requires all of us to be those people where God puts us in. Later on in this passage, Jesus encourages us uh, as Jubilee, I believe. He says this later on in John 4, John 4, 35, it says, Behold, when Jesus says, Behold, you stop and listen. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. We just need to look. This woman was surprised by grace. Secondly, she was satisfied by grace. Yeah? Secondly, the grace of God satisfies. See what Jesus says in verse 13. After Jesus asked the woman for a drink at the well, he says this, Everyone, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. The water that doesn't bring life. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. You know what, when I was reading this, I just kind of thought, wells dry up, don't they? But springs, you can't stamp out springs. That's the grace of our God. The more and more I speak to my friends, the more I invite them for coffees, the more we both see them at parties or walks or things we do, the more Charlotte runs with them, and we realize that there is a spiritual thirst out there. It's exciting us as a family, actually, as we talk about it. People are longing for wholeness and friendship and purpose. People genuinely, deep down, are questioning, is there really more than life to this? Is there really more than life than this? And they are scrambling, and they are scrambling to find what they're looking for in all sorts of places, in family, in love, and sex, in career, and work, in politics, and charity, and entertainment, in position, and fame. They're not all bad things. All these things do bring passing pleasure. They do, but eventually, the longer you live, you realize this, eventually the bubble bursts. It always does. The marriage falters, the family go astray, the kids become teenagers, as Angela talked to us about the other day. I was um, at Les's house the other mo- uh, afternoon, um, and he showed me a cup that Lou bought him, and it read, you don't scare me, I've raised two daughters. Parenting can be a challenge, can't it? We get ill, all sorts of things happen. These are the normalities of life. A life that is incredibly fragile. If you don't need know Jesus, this is something to really get on board. And like Jesus, we are called to be light. That's what he says in the midst of this searching. When the woman asks Jesus for this special water and then Jesus replies to her question with another question, who's your husband? It seems like a gear change. I said that as I was reading it, doesn't it? But what's that got to do with life-giving water? But Jesus, you see, is the master questioner. He's the master listener, actually. He realizes that she too is searching in the wrong place for meaning and belonging. Broken relationship after broken relationship. She needs a relationship. Jesus knows it. She needs a relationship that will never fail her. 
Alpha is an amazing setting. Uh, Alpha is amazing at setting the scene for this. Over the weeks, people, if you've been on Alpha, particularly these uh, more sort of newer Alphas that we've been doing, over the weeks, people become friends. They begin to trust. They ask more and more questions. Sometimes they become angry. I know that something's happening when that is going on. Sometimes they break down. Life changes. It really works. Why? Because the gospel really works. And that's what Alpha's about. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's what we were talking about this morning at McDonald's with Jesh as uh, we were looking at some article talking about Stormzy's new song called Grace or something that he sang last night on uh, X Factor. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and to the Greek. It crosses all barriers. I'm going to ask, uh, I'd like you all to now to welcome Anna. Anna's just come out of kids' work for a brief moment. Um, Anna recently got married to Andrew. They've both been on Alpha, on our Life Plus course, and also on our Intro Joining course. I've asked Anna to share her story, how her searching uh, brought her to Jesus. She's a little bit nervous. That's okay, very understandable. So please be encouraging. I'm quite a new Christian, although I was taken up to church a lot when I was a child. A lot of my family are part of the Church of England, and I was taken to church from being very young. Growing up, church was somewhere I went to be bored for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. I remember somebody once asked me what my favourite hymn was, and I answered, the last one, because it meant it was always time to leave. I was christened and confirmed because it was expected of me. I didn't want to stand out. I went to a Catholic school and everyone else did their first communion, something I wasn't a part of, as I was the only non-Catholic in my whole class. I wanted to stop standing out, so I didn't say what I had to do to be allowed to take communion. I didn't believe in God. I'd stopped believing in Santa when I was six, and in my head, God and Jesus were basically on the same level. Just stories told to keep me quiet and keep me behaving. When I was 14 or so, I stopped going to church. It upset my mom, but she respected my choice. What she didn't know, and I really hope she still doesn't know, is that when I was about 16, I got interested in paganism and witchcraft. It was something I wanted to do because it felt it it was a bit risky, a bit cool. It was something forbidden and therefore better. Never mind the fact that it felt completely empty, false, and like a pack of lies. I was a witch, and I had a secret, and that was cool. I bought a lot of candles and a lot of tarot cards, and I started wearing a lot of black. It was around this time that I began to have problems with depression, which mainly manifested in me sleeping a lot and feeling really sad all the time. Still, I did my A-levels, and I got into the university I wanted to, which was in Liverpool. It was close enough that visiting wasn't out of the question, but far enough away that I felt independent. At university, I got into my first real romantic relationship. I was young and in love and deeply unhappy. After uni, I stayed in Liverpool with my boyfriend, but I struggled to find a job and ended up working in admin almost by accident because I could spell and touch type. I stayed in Liverpool for another seven years and the relationship I was in became emotionally abusive. In the end, it was him that walked away and I was devastated. I gave up everything, my home, my job, 
and I moved back to the northeast to live with my mum. For the next couple of years, I was basically broken. Over the years, I'd tried to reconnect with some kind of faith, but it never really stuck. I was a Christmas and Easter church goer, mostly because of mum. She tried to convince me to go to church with her, but I decided I'd already, I decided I already knew everything about Christianity, that it was about having to be good enough to be loved, and I was never going to be good enough. I became a confirmed agnostic. I didn't believe it was possible for people to know whether God was real or not, because it's beyond our capacity to understand. Eventually, I got better. I make it sound easy, but it wasn't. It took time, therapy and medication. I found a new job, a new flat and a new boyfriend. I always felt like there was something missing, but it didn't matter as long as I was content. Last summer, I broke up with the boyfriend and ended up moving back to Hartlepool again. This time I wasn't broken. I was a free agent and at a bit of a loose end. Then one night I had a weird dream about this guy that I sort of knew. I woke up and knew for absolutely certain that I needed to get in touch with him, that I could trust him and that he needed me. So I friended him on Facebook and sent him a question about some books he'd mentioned in passing one time. It turned out we had a lot in common, so we started spending more time together. One day we were having an argument about something and I mentioned my distaste for organised religion, especially Christianity, and that churches felt more about humans than about God and that I felt it was judgmental and impossible to live up to the standard. And he not so gently explained to me that I had it completely wrong. It's not about earning your forgiveness. Forgiveness is given freely by the grace of God because if you have to earn it, it's not grace. It might sound really straightforward, but for me, it was almost literally mind-blowing. I'd been brought up in church, gone to Catholic school, and I thought I knew it all. And I discovered that literally everything I thought about faith was built on an incorrect assumption. I decided I needed some time to think about it. I went for a long walk along Seton Beach, because I always felt that if God was anywhere, he was in the wild places. And I just opened my heart and talked to God. And for the first time, it felt like he was listening. It was a profoundly spiritual experience that I will always remember. The next day, I asked my friend if I could go to church with him. He was quite surprised, but he agreed, although he wouldn't tell me anything about church except that it was in Middlesbrough because he didn't want me to get scared off. <coughs> I am not so easily dissuaded, so I took the scraps of information he'd provided and I found the website for Jubilee, which at least reassured me that it wasn't some kind of crazy cult. <laughs> My first visit to Jubilee is another time that I will always remember. From the minute I walked in the door, I felt welcome, like I'd come home. The whole meeting felt like it was aimed right at me. At the end, Simon, one of the elders, said he felt God was inviting people to come back to him if they turned away and offered that people could come to the front for prayer if that was them. Now, I'm not normally a come-to-the-front sort of person. I'm a bit shy and a bit nervous, but I found myself moving without even thinking. I did get prayer, and I chose to become a Christian on that day. I felt so loved. It was overwhelming, and I cried until the tears were running down my face. After that, I knew I was a Christian, but I didn't know what that really meant. So I asked if I could sign up for Alpha, because I felt like I was missing all of the foundations that I needed. I wasn't sure what to expect, but it was really fun, and it really helped me fill in a lot of the gaps in my knowledge and in my experience. My life's changed a lot over the last year. I got rid of all my old pagan stuff because I didn't need it. I was baptised, which was hugely significant for me. 
I've started reading the Bible. I've not finished it yet. It's a big book. (laughs) But I have read the New Testament, and actually reading it helped me to understand the real message of Christ and not what popular culture has told us it is. I will never regret taking the step of asking, okay, so what is it really about then? I'm not going to lie. Life isn't all sunshine and roses. But where before I was content, now I experience joy. When I'm struggling, I know that no matter how hard it gets, God loves me. And as for my argumentative friend, he and I got married a couple of months ago. (laughs) That was excellent, well done. Now she's going back now to continue kids' work. Well done, Anna. Where I once had contentment, I now experienced joy. A moment of grace. That's why we've really invested in our uh, new Alpha strategy, to make it more inviting and exciting for people. Using the film series material has really uh, uh, made the message much more engaging. Running and planning, it's interesting this for us, running and planning our new Alpha has really helped us explore processes of collaboration and making things happen and presentation that we feel we can use elsewhere. Over the next 12, 18 months or so, we're planning to expand these Sunday evenings using the Alpha model, if you like, or the Alpha strategy, if you like, but adding other courses to them, other things, helping people where they're at, uh, combined with our pastoral care strategy, bringing Christians and those who are interested, seeking maybe, together, being pastorally proactive and nurturing courses, things like Life Plus and Freedom in Christ and maybe marriage courses, parenting courses. We haven't dotted all the I's or crossed the T's yet. Discipleship courses. These evenings we want to be fun, but also growing and building. Same goes for our Sunday mornings. How we greet and welcome everyone, new people, regulars, declares the heart of God. How we show hospitality declares the heart of God. We're looking at implementing over the next, again, 12 months or so, better hospitality. You guys who serve week in, week out, well done. But we're looking at raising, uh, raising, raising our expectations, if you like, better welcoming and follow-up of new people, better presentation, better ways of joining people into the life of Jubilee. Why? Why? Because we want to break into the lives of everyone, just like Anna, yeah, with this amazing message. Everyone who drinks of this water of life will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that Jesus gives them shall never thirst again. But that water will give him or her, it will become like a well springing up to eternal life. This deep, deep thirst can only be satisfied by Jesus. Finally, costly grace. Costly grace. We're going to be taking our collection uh, in a minute, and as we take our collection, as we celebrate in a few moments, I want you to get the main thing in this passage and keep the main thing the main thing what's that Jesus is the God of grace Jesus is the God of grace 
We don't primarily get excited or enthusiastic about all that he's called us to do, although that's very exciting. It's an adventure. We don't primarily celebrate all the breakthroughs and the wonderful blessings that come through him, although they are totally wonderful moments. We don't even primarily thank him for all he's done in our lives, turning our life around, bringing freedom, bringing purpose, healing, restoration, all amazing things. But the main thing we first and foremost give our lives to and are overcome by and uh, take our breath away, the main thing is that we love him for who he is, just for who he is. Our God, our Father, our Lord, the beautiful one. The Bible talks about the precious pearl worth giving everything up for. That's who he is. That is the main thing of this passage. In verse 23, when Jesus says, an hour is coming, you may have heard me stress it, and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. What's he talking about, the hour? The hour, he mentions it a few times. Everywhere, if you actually look throughout John's Gospel, everywhere in John's Gospel, when Jesus refers to the hour, he's talking about one thing and one thing only. What's the hour that would turn around eternity forever? What's the hour that would stop all thirsting and striving? What's the greatest act of grace ever? What's God's ultimate, what, what, what's the hour that would reveal God's ultimate grace, unmatched, unprecedented in the history of our universe? Well, it's the cross, isn't it? The cross, the death, the resurrection of Jesus the greatest declaration of grace and love ever. And do you know what? It was costly. It was costly grace. He's the one who cried out for water. I am thirsty as he poured out his life like water, Psalm 22 tells us, so that we would be filled. He's the one who gave everything in order that we might have the greatest treasure of all, him. It doesn't matter your ethnic origin. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter what others think about you. It doesn't matter all your striving. It doesn't matter what happened to you in the past. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you've done and what others have done to you. This hour changes everything. This hour changes everyone. Jubilee, Jesus is the God of grace. And do you know what? His costliness is a model for our costliness. Following him was never meant to be easy. It takes so much to live this life for, Je for Jesus. But I tell you this, yes, it's difficult. Yes, we take up our cross every day. But let me tell you this, there is no greater joy, no greater lasting purpose, no greater eternal life, no greater treasure that comes close to knowing and following him. That's a fact. In Tolkien, I'm going to end with this, in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, there's a bit where one of the little hobbits, I can't remember who it was, um, looks at Gandalf, who's the great wizard, and he notices Gandalf is pretty upset as he lives out the battles of life he's called to. But as this little hobbit uh, looks deeper. Tolkien says the hobbit sees something more. That's how he, and this is how he puts it. 
in the wizard's face, he saw only lines of care and sorrow. But under there was great joy, a fountain of mirth or merriment or celebration, enough to set a kingdom laughing. That's the water of life. That's the water Jesus offers us. That's the spring that never ends. That's a Christian. Jubilee, as he builds his church, will you give your all to this one? Will your life declare his grace and lordship? Will you put him at the very, very center of all you do, of all you think, of all you give, of all you worship? Because that is what we're called to, nothing less. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand. I'm going to pray. The band could come up. That would be good. Yes, Lord, I thank you for this great message of grace. I thank you, Lord, that on the cross you took everything for us. That on the cross you saw into the very depths of everybody's life here and across the nation and across the world, those who trust in you. And you took all our sin and disgrace and condemnation. You took everything that separated us from you and brought us close. You broke that dividing wall. You bridged the gap. You stretched out your hand and touched us. You said, can we be friends? I love you. Can I be part of your world? I thank you, Lord, that this is not just silly religion. But actually, this is a profound, transforming, life-changing relationship with you. And as we gather here this morning, as we celebrate, as we give to you, we can't outgive you. We know that, Lord. But as we demonstrate our love and praise for you, can I ask you, Lord, that you'll, com- com- that you'll continue to keep depositing grace upon grace upon grace in our lives. We love you, Lord. We look to you, Lord. We cry out to you, Lord, day by day. We cry out for moments of grace as we take your message to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to hand over to Simon.